0: We would be honored if you would join us.
1: Well, hello there, my fellow Star Wars adventurers. Kyle speaking, and you have just tuned in to the Ultimate Star Wars Experience: Star Wars Audio Archives. Be prepared to enter a place where your imagination will take flight. Let's forge new memories that will make you grin like a Jawa in a scrapyard. Are you ready? Then let's get started. Part 6.
0: Preparations for War
2: Lorin had never met Supreme Commander Stantors before, and she barely felt that she had met him now, even after half an hour of debriefing in his office. There were so many aides hurrying about, bearing messages and sudden crises needing an instant decision that she rarely had his attention for more than a few seconds at a stretch. Even when she did, she found him very hard to read. Instead of watching his dour Duro's face, she concentrated on his long fingers. They tapped, curled, folded, and rested in ways that she hoped gave her an insight into what he was thinking.
0: You say you were followed
2: there? Yes, sir, she said. The Huts placed a homing beacon in the Auriga fire. You knew about that before you left Hutta. I seem to recall reading about that somewhere. That's correct, sir. This had all been in her report, and was no doubt in numerous other reports about the incident, but she let no sign of impatience slip through her guard. If he wanted to hear it from her face to face, so be it. He was the Supreme Commander, after all. We thought the beacon left with Jet Nebula, but it later turned up in the capsule he used to expel Envoy V. This Jet Nebula, is he a real person? Yes, sir. His parents had a strange sense of humor, he says. What? Yes? An aide had pressed a data pad in front of him. His left index finger stabbed at something on the screen. That one, of course. Was the Sabarish herself present in her expedition to Sabadan? No, sir. She placed someone else in charge, a deputy called Sigrillo. He's the one who claimed ownership of the planet and declared the remaining joint forces trespassers. Yes, sir. At the time, he outgunned us. His mistress was taking no chances. The tips of the Supreme Commander's fingers joined to form a triangle in front of him. "'I can imagine his surprise when your reinforcements turned up.' "'Not just our reinforcements,' she wanted to say, "'but the Imperials as well.' "'It had only been a matter of time before everyone else arrived. "'The universe's usual freakish sense of humor "'had ensured that they all came more or less simultaneously. "'She remembered those stressful hours very well, "'even though she hadn't been on the bridge "'with the senior officers and the negotiators.' She had been down in the crew hold, exchanging stories with Hetchkey and Jopp and the others who had survived the ground assault. They had stopped to watch through the viewports as ships flashed in and out of hyperspace around the black hole. There had been several clashes, leaving wreckage to spin helplessly into the impossibly steep gravity well, and several outlier ships had fallen afoul of the jets themselves. They had waited with minds and bodies poisoned by exhaustion for the call to arms— "'as it surely had to come. "'The Republic ships left over from the original mission "'were going to be pulled in eventually, "'and every available trooper would be desperately needed. "'Then suddenly, it had been all behind her. "'The commoner had jumped to hyperspace, "'leaving fresh ships and their commanders to sort out the mess. "'And that was the last she had seen of Sabaton and its hexes. "'Every scrap of data from the campaign had been erased.' By some kind of exotic electromagnetic pulse, she had been told. All that remained were confused recollections and reports like the one she had filed on returning. Very few of them mentioned Dow Striver. During the confusion, the Mandalorian had disappeared, as though into the depths of the black hole itself, never to be seen since.
0: Do you believe
2: Captain Pipalidi acted responsibly in the ensuing confrontation? Stantors asked her. Lorin chose her words with care. The matter of a re-enlistment and promotion was still very much undecided, and she didn't want to jeopardize any chances that might remain. I think she did her best in a difficult situation, sir. No one could fault her for that. The service asks of us not our best, but the best possible. Is that what Captain Pimple offered?' It was the same question in different words, and Stantors didn't strike Lorin as a being who repeated himself very often. I believe so, sir. Every installation on the planet was in flames. All our troops had been evacuated. The mission had already cost the Republic more resources than it could afford, and sticking around would have squandered even more. Withdrawal was therefore the most sensible action to take. The Supreme Commander's hands came to rest face down on the desk in front of him. That's good to hear, Moxla, because I'm thinking of promoting Pippellini to Colonel over some pretty stiff opposition. The kind of people who think we owe everything to the Jedi, if you can imagine that. And it's good to be backed up by the opinion of someone I can trust. I'm not wrong in thinking that I can trust you, am I, Moxla? He undoubtedly knew her history with the Black Stars, so there was no point prevaricating now. Sir, you can always trust me to speak out if I think a superior officer isn't pulling her weight. That's what I thought, and that's exactly what I need. There's what? Can't he wait? Another aide this time, whispering in the Supreme Commander's ear. All right. His hands rested impotently in his lap. ''Well, I'll make this brief, Boxler. The SSOs you fought with on Sabaton, a messy bunch, but showed a lot of guts. We're going to form a new Special Forces squad around them, and we want you to be a part of it. We can't erase your record, but we can add a commendation or two, post-factum, to spruce it up a little and change some of the wording. you retain the rank you were given, breveted, of course,'' and have the first pick of the troops. What do you say to that? Surprise got the better of her tongue. Uh, uh yes, sir. You don't sound particularly enthused, Lieutenant moxla It didn't take her long to snap out of herself. Anything was better than sitting around in Coruscant's underbelly, waiting for the axe to fall. Either outright war with the Empire was going to break out any day or the Republic's ability to maintain the peace on its own worlds would fail. This way, she would be right in the thick of it, where she could maybe do some good. She would be working, and if she was lucky, she might be able to bring some people she trusted absolutely along with her. Cess Jop for one. She snapped to attention, and saluted with appropriate enthusiasm. You couldn't have picked anyone better, she said. Give me a month and your squad will be as polished as your desk. Don't get me started on that, Moxla, he said with a sudden rap of his knuckles on the greel wood surface. Nothing's as clean as it looks. Another aide approached, and the Supreme Commander waved her away. Get to it, Boxler. You have my absolute confidence. Lorin saluted again and marched for the door. Aides parted before her watching with eyes that gave away nothing. "'How did it go?' asked Ula, meeting her in the antechamber outside and matching her pace for pace along the corridor. "'Very well, considering,' she said. "'Did you have anything to do with that?' "'Unlikely,' he said. "'I've been shifted to a portfolio and data collection.' So he wasn't being modest this time. "'I'm sorry, Ula.' "'No, it's okay.' I found my last job a little too... stimulating. He smiled, and she found herself smiling along. Ula, still acting as envoy then, had looked out for her on returning to Coruscant, greasing the path to the Supreme Commander's attention by making sure officers senior to her didn't dismiss her out of hand or take credit for her actions. Captain Pippoliti might have played a role in that as well. That the captain was being promoted suggested she had Stantor's ear on many things to do with Sabatin, and Lorin had certainly helped the whole affair from becoming a complete rout. ''What are you doing now?'' Ula asked her. She didn't answer immediately, remembering how Ula had cleaned up her wounded hand on the Auriga fire, and how pleased he'd been to see her when the shuttle had collected them from the Burning World. She flexed her new fingers, a proper prosthetic at last, surgically grafted to her, indistinguishable from a real hand, and wondered who would look after him in his new role. I have to meet someone right now, she said, and then it looks like I'll be on the move for a while. But I'd like to catch up with you when I get back. His smile grew wider. I can wait. That's assuming you'll still be around, of course. The chances of me going anywhere are very slim now. Great. We can drink reactor cores and talk about old times. I'm sure we'll have lots more to talk about by then. What? The birth and death statistics of Sector 4? Just for starters. At the exit to the building, they stopped and looked at each other. Was it her imagination, or did he look younger, lighter than he had before? It was probably the smile she decided. She wanted him to stay that way when she was around. She reached out and took his left hand in hers. Her artificial fingers squeezed lightly. When she walked away, she knew he was watching her all the way down the steps to the plaza below. Shigar was waiting for her at the Cenotaph of the Innocents, pacing back and forth in front of the first bank of Asari trees. The troubled cast to his brow perfectly matched the heavy grey skies above. He was back in Jedi Browns, with a new lightsaber swinging at his hip, but he seemed a completely different person from the one she had met in the old districts not so very long ago. He moved stiffly, still favoring a wound in his side. His hair, cut shorter by Darth Kratos on Sabaddon, hung limply around his face. Watching him, Lorin almost regretted coming. He glanced up as she approached. The blue clan markings on his cheeks looked faded and worn. You're still in uniform. That's a good sign. Did you think they'd strip me naked and throw me onto the street? She came to a halt in front of him. And now you're smiling. Things must have gone well. They did. I'm pleased, Lorin. Well, likewise. Hello, by the way. Hello. Let's go over here. He led her to a stand of trees planted as a memorial to the people who had died during the Empire's sacking of the Jedi Temple. One sapling for each victim had grown into a small forest with grottos and benches for people to pass a moment in contemplation. They sat side by side, close but not touching, and it seemed for a long while that Shigar wasn't going to say anything at all. The restless branches rustled above them, moving back and forth in ways that had nothing at all to do with the wind. I want to ask you something, he finally said. And I want to tell you something, so we're even. Do you want to go first? Not particularly, but I will if you want me to. Fire away. Did I do the right thing, bringing you along with me? That surprised her. "'She had been afraid that he was about to reveal that he had changed his mind "'and wanted to revisit the possibility of romance between them. "'If he had said that, she would have been forced to find words "'to explain the way she had felt on that front, "'and she doubted any such words existed. "'She knew exactly where those feelings had come from, "'but she hadn't quite worked out what they were now. Ne- "'And then there was Ula, whom she definitely intended to look up when she got back. "'I guess,' she said, It depends on what you mean by right. He grimaced. That doesn't really help. Well, let me tell you what I was going to say, and maybe that will help. It's this. Thank you. For what? Just thanks. Why? She rolled her eyes. You're going to make me explain it, aren't you? If it's not too much trouble. He managed a twitch of his lips that might have been a smile. ''It's pretty simple, really. You came across me when things were the darkest they had ever been. I had no security, no family, no purpose, no life, really. You offered me all of those things. Relatively speaking, of course. I'd never come up against anything like the Hexes before, and I'd always prided myself on keeping most of my limbs intact. But the essentials were there. We had the mission, we had roles to play... And I had you. She raised a hand to stop him talking over her. I know I didn't have you in any possessive sense, but you represented more to me than just some guy I'd bumped into. You're Kifar, like me. And there aren't many of us out there now. So that made you family. And you had my back when things got tough. So that made you... made you like my squad, I guess. You were everything I'd been missing without ever being able to say so. I'm flattered, he said. Don't be, she said. It wasn't really anything to do with you. Any other handsome, well-armed Kifar would have fit the bill. She smiled, to take the sting off her words, and he smiled in return. I'm glad, he said. That makes me feel like I did do the right thing. Well, think that now. But the day I'm in the Empire sights and out of ammo, know that you'll be the first I blame. At least I'll have a proper squad with me then. So that's one box ticked. She was surprised by a sudden upwelling of emotion. She really was grateful, but she didn't know how to convey it, except with a joke. <laughs> Were you seriously thinking I wish I'd never come? Don't you remember how I used to smell? It still gives me nightmares. Besides... I reckon you have a lot more to worry about now. He sobered. What do you mean? Well, the fact that you're wondering about what you did tells me you've entered a whole new world of uncertainty. Doing the right thing isn't so easy in the real world, is it? He studied the grass at their feet. No. So you learned that lesson, which means you'll probably become a proper Jedi Knight now. But in the process, you come to the shocking realization that nothing will ever be black and white again. It's all gray. Not all of it, he said. There's still some black. But white is hard to find, right? She put her prosthetic hand on his shoulder. You're a warrior now. Eventually, you'll only see in two colors. Black and red. Best get used to that, if you're going to stay on the front line. Do I have a choice? Sure you do. With the life you've had, you've always had a choice. Do you still think I've had it easy? <laughs> no, my friend. <laughs> no. The flash of anger in his deep green eyes had come too quickly. She worried about that. But she knew she'd said enough. It wasn't her job to bang his head into shape. Everyone knows Clan Conchi got a raw deal when it came to looks. That put the anger back in its place where it could simmer until found another outlet. She pitied the next person who met him on the wrong end of his lightsaber. I should go, he said. The council must surely be finished deliberating by now. That's life in wartime, she said. A whole lot of waiting around between bouts of being shot at. Don't forget to duck, Lorin. They stood and faced each other. Don't you forget to keep looking for the white, she said putting her arms around him and giving him a quick squeeze. It's out there somewhere. You just have to find it. He nodded. They left the Cenotaph of the Innocents by separate paths. She didn't look back. Hello, Mother. Sorry I've been out of touch for so long. Work has kept me very busy, but I'll tell you all about that another time. Call me on Coruscant when you have the chance. Ula closed the line and settled back to wait. He didn't think it would be long. After the loss of Darth Kratos, the failure of the Cinzia to amount to anything, and the erasure of the fleet's databanks, he was sure someone would want to hear his side of the story. What that would be, he had given a great deal of thought. His comlink bleeped, warning him the call was imminent. That was impressively fast so fast, in fact, that it made him wonder. Ordinarily, someone on Panatha would note the message, then relay the coded request up the lines of command to Watcher 3, who would then issue orders that would filter back down the lines of command, resulting in that simple ping. Ordinarily, this process could take hours, occasionally tens of minutes, never seconds. Ula looked around his apartment. It seemed smaller than he remembered, And now had a hostile cast to it as well. He would conduct a sweep later that evening in the hope of finding the bug he was now sure was there. Whether he would destroy the bug or not remained an open question. The hollow projector flickered. He stood in front of it and blanked his face. One of the first things he had learned about espionage was that an apparent lack of emotion enhanced both the credibility of one's reports and the illusion of authority. That, he suspected, was why he had never seen Watcher 3's face in more than shadowy outline. That outline appeared before him now, flickering and straining, as though coming from the other side of the universe. For all Ula knew, though, Watcher 3 was on Coruscant as well, perhaps just up the road. Anything was possible. He knew of at least two other intelligence operatives who lived on his block— seeking a similar balance between easy access to the Senate and a ready escape route. Reports, said Watcher 3. Ula needed to go back as far as his arrival on Hutta in order to tell the story properly. He didn't lie once, but he told far less than the whole truth. As with all intelligence work, much was told by implication. He left Watcher 3 to deduce that his rapid advancement from envoy to commander of the Joint Fleet had less to do with his own abilities than the need for a puppet in both positions. He also let Watcher 3 decide that Darth Kratus was the person behind the second placement. Who better, after all, to place the blame on than someone who couldn't defend himself? The last report Stantors received that I saw before being transferred, Ula concluded, suggested that Sabaton's orbit had been disturbed, leading to its imminent destruction by the black hole... Some small amounts of rare metals have been scavenged by the Republic, but Imperial attacks have kept that to a minimum. No wreckage has been recovered from insights established by Lima Mazandret and her fellow fugitives. Watcher 3 didn't divulge whether or not that accorded with reports made by Colonel Kalish. He also didn't mention the mysterious takeover of Kalish's ships or the matter of the databank's erasure. A computer virus propagated by the infected ships was sufficient to explain away the latter, and the colonel's natural disinclination to admit that his ships had ever been out of his control fixed the former. Better to have a slightly botched mission on one's record than a complete failure of command. That didn't surprise Ula at all. Jet Nebula had anticipated exactly this outcome. He had made the fleet do what it needed to do, knowing full well that his role in events would never be recorded. The only weak link in his wild plan had been Ula himself. Anyone less confident, less sure of himself, would have killed Ula out of hand for fear of his secret getting out. But Jet had let him live. And now Ula would repay that favor the only way he could, by making sure that both sides believed the fake version of how things had played out over Sabaddon. It wasn't a complete whitewash, of course. Troopers would be telling wild stories about Zavaddon for years, as troopers always did when wild stories were demanded. No one would believe them, though. And there the matter would finally rest. What What of the Mandalorian? Watcher 3 asked. Gone! He left long before reinforcements arrived. Once the Hexes were on the run, he presumably had no interest in the outcome of the battle.
0: Why invest so much in tracking the cinzia to its source and then play no role in what happens? That doesn't make sense. He was just one Mandalorian
2: who happened to be personally involved, remember? A raider operating on little more than his own initiative. Xandret might have hoped for some kind of alliance with the Mandalore, but it's clear he was no more than idly interested. Had he believed the hexes truly remarkable, he would have sent more than Striver to deal with them. And they weren't
0: remarkable.
2: I leave that for more qualified people than me to decide, Ula said, safe in the knowledge that Watcher Three would have a markedly vague intelligence on that score. Again, Colonel Kalish wouldn't want to be remembered for being routed by a gaggle of droids better instead to paint his early losses as the result of a Republic ambush and minimize all involvement by the Hexes, as Captain Pippoliti had. None of the surviving records would contradict either story, thanks to Jet. Sometimes the smuggler's brilliance overwhelmed Ula, along with his utter gall. Where was he now? Ula would have given his left hand to know.
0: The minister is displeased by your demotion. You are to make every effort to
2: regain your former post. Now that was interesting. Not only was it a completely unreasonable demand that Ula should have betrayed the Republic while at the same time keeping his position under the Supreme Commander, but the urgency with which they expected him to get back into Stantor's good books suggested that there were no other operatives in that department. Ula would bear that in mind in his future dealings with both sides. Yes, sir. I will keep you informed on my progress. Dismissed. The hollow projector emptied. Ula didn't move. Before he had counted to ten, a new face appeared before him. Hello, Ula, said Shulas Kamar, Minister of Logistics. It's been a long time. I was becoming concerned. Once Ula would have been struck dumb by this unprompted overture. In their previous dealings, he had invariably been the subt. For her to call him out of the blue bespoke a considerable alteration of their dynamic. My apologies, Minister, on many accounts. The search for the world I told you about did not go well, and the resources I had hoped to provide the Empire went unrealized. I can only assure you that the enemy did not get the better of us. Well, that's something. I hope you're not too disappointed... No, Minister. My role here will be much reduced, but I am sure others will rise to take my place. There will be others, yes. None like you, though. She smiled. I've always admired your passion, and found our conversations to be thought-provoking. Minister, on that matter, I fear... Yes, Sula? I fear I may have been mistaken in my former opinions... Her smile slipped away. How so? This was the one lie he allowed himself to tell. During the course of my mission, I worked closely with Darth Kratis and his apprentice, and their actions persuaded me to reconsider the prejudices I held regarding them. I see now how foolish I was to dismiss them so readily. They are crucial to the war effort and integral to the proper functioning of the Empire. The guarded cast to her face eased. I'll confess to being relieved, Ula. It was a dangerous heresy you had embraced. Well-meant, naturally, but not one that can be tolerated at any level of governance. I see that now. You were very forgiving, Minister. Nonsense, Ula. We're friends, and friends forgive much. He wondered if part of her was disappointed. There must have been some advantage even if merely psychological, to having a private informant intent on maintaining her own advancement. If so, she hid it well. I am tired of seducing you to my way of thinking, Shoeless Kamar. he said to himself, thinking of Lorin and Shigar, who had both rescued him from terrible fates, and the calm stoicism of the Grand Master Satil Shan. The survivors of Sabaton would be changed forever by what had happened to them there, and he was no different. I am persuaded that there is more to governance than just rules, laws, and discipline. A culture must have a heart, too. A strong heart that never falters. Thank you, Minister, he said, and offered her a respectful bow. She concluded their conversation with a hollow platitude and signed off. Ula wondered if he would ever speak to her again. Probably not. Friendships of any kind were difficult to maintain in the intelligence business, all the more so when one had been demoted. In the coming weeks, he would consider the benefits of playing both sides against the other, attempting to juggle the interplay between them as Jet hat. He didn't have access to an army of unstoppable hexes or a droid that could take over entire fleets, but he was coming to believe that maybe the end did justify the means, sometimes. If he could guide the Empire and the Republic away from war, or at least spare their citizens the worst of their excesses, then that could be a good thing, and a real thing, not fake like everything he had tried before. He would be on his own side, at last, as Lorin had been when she had been discharged from Special Forces, on the side of the trillions of ordinary people trapped in a warring galaxy. He stood in his tiny apartment, ...and considered his next move. Search for that bug? Draft a coded message for the Aetherian he had spoken to in strategic information systems? Sleep? Ula didn't know just yet. Which in itself was a pleasing thing. The walls might be closing in around him... ...but his horizons were broader now than ever. Even Coruscant didn't seem as cursed as it once had. Lorin was back in the Special Forces... Satisfaction fairly glowed from her face when she talked about the future. We can drink reactor cores and talk about old times. No mention of Shigar or any of the other survivors of Sabaddon. That, at least, gave him something to look forward to. After hours of waiting, Shigar's moment had come.
0: We find you ready for the trials, Shigar Kanchi. "'said Master Noble, "'You will be unsurprised, I think, "'to learn that mastering your psychometric powers "'was only the smallest part of your journey.' "'Shigar wasn't surprised,
2: "'but at the same time, he couldn't hide his relief. "'He bowed deeply before the holographic images "'of the High Council members, "'many of whom he had yet to meet in person. "'Brooding Wends Eleusis, "'Brilliant Gifus Fane, young auric Trelis, the newest member of the Council. "'Thank you, Masters,' he said. "'I'm sure I won't disappoint you.'
0: "'Tell me how you resolved your agreement with Tassar Barish, Master Nobel said. "'That was not mentioned in your debriefing session.'
2: "'I'm afraid it remains unresolved,' he said. "'The agreement was expedient at the time,' but it was always likely to become a liability. She used a homing beacon to find the world herself, so I have no qualms about allowing the Republic there first. She can claim no disadvantage since the world itself has fallen to no one. There's the damage to her palace on Hatta," said Master Fane, and the very public loss of face. Suda Nemro must be rubbing his hands with glee.
0: And there must be ramifications for dishonoring her, no doubt.
2: Yes, Master Nobile. I believe there is a price on my head. We've all had one of those at one time or another, said Master Traylus with a wry smile. Don't lose any sleep over it, but do keep an eye out. Thank you, Master. I will. Shigar knew what they were trying to say don't expect to play this game without breaking the rules. "'You've done it once, and you'll do it again. "'Get used to it.' "'It was Lorin all over again. "'The squabbling of hot crime lords didn't worry him in the slightest. "'He had much bigger concerns. "'May I address the council, freely?' he asked. "'I think you should,' said Grandmaster Shan, "'the first time she'd spoken during the discussion. "'He'd almost forgotten she was there.' "'Standing quietly in the corner of the audience chamber they had requisitioned. "'There's been something on your mind ever since Sabaton.' "'It's true, Master. I'm not sure where to start.' "'Start with what pains you the most.' "'He had never thought of this new understanding as painful, but he saw that it was true. "'It burned in his chest like fire. "'So many people have died,' he said. "'For nothing.' Don't tell me that this is what it's like in wartime, because officially we're not at war. Xandret and her hexes weren't our enemy. Darth Kratos was, in fact, our ally for a while. Yet they are all dead. I see no sense to it. Go on, said Master Nobil. He tried to explain himself clearly. This whole affair is endemic to the current crisis. The Sith are on the rise, we are on the wane. The Mandalorians in the huts stand between us, creating confusion and jostling for advantage. Our options are limited. If we do nothing, millions of people die. If we fight back, we engage with them at their level. Tell us your solution, Shigar, said Master Trelis. Attack now. The war is coming. We all know it. So why sit on our hands waiting for the Emperor to make his move? Preempt him before he has a chance to consolidate his power any further. Use the element of surprise while we have it. Don't expend lives for nothing.
0: The owners of those lives might question the necessity of it, said Master Nobile. There is much talk of how we caused the current misfortune by making enemies of the Sith in the first place. Starting a war now do not ease those misgivings.
2: "'When we've won the war, people will see the necessity for it. "'And if we lose?' asked Master Fane. "'We must not,' Shigar said. "'We cannot, and we will not if we act quickly enough. "'With every day the Emperor grows stronger and we grow weaker. "'How many spies and traitors erode the fortresses we've built around ourselves?' How many fruitless battles must we fight before everyone in the Republic deserts us? How many other Sabbatans are out there waiting for us? The next one might be the one that finishes us.
0: Our mission is to promote peace, said Master Noble. Have you forgotten that?
2: Never, Master. But there are degrees of war, just as there are degrees of peace. An early strike might spare the galaxy
0: from total war. But at what cost? Remember, Shagar, when you used to argue for justice for the billions of ordinary people caught between the two sides in this conflict? If we act now, their deaths will be laid at our door. Do you want that on your conscience, my young warmonger? No, Master. Uh, That
2: is, I don't. I I just... He looked down at his hands. "'so startlingly unburned after holding so much power on Sabaton. "'If he could do it, why couldn't the Jedi Council?' "'That was the one lesson Darth Kratos had taught him. "'I just think it's worth considering.' "'We have considered it,' said Master Fane. "'And we will continue to consider it until the proper solution presents itself.' "'You're not the only one who feels this way,' said Master traylus leaning forward.' ''We have a thousand young Jedi just waiting.'' He might have said more, but a glance from Master Nobil stilled his tongue.
0: ''Your passion is undiminished, young Shigar. ''You must take care that it never rules your head. ''Thank you for your opinions. ''Come to Tython and finish what you started. ''When you are fully installed as a Jedi Knight, Then you may play your part more fully in the times to come. But what is my part? He let those
2: words sit silently on his tongue as one by one the images of the Jedi High Counselors flickered and disappeared. We will go together, Grandmaster Shan told him. The trials are difficult. Many try and fail. So I advise you not to be complacent. Her face was unreadable. "'I'm sorry if I've displeased you, Master,' he said. "'You haven't displeased me at all, Shagar. I am simply tired. "'Like you, I wish a speedy resolution to these times. "'But not through war. Not if it can be avoided, no. "'I understand that you don't see it this way, though. "'You are a product of your time,' he started, "'recognizing her words from the vision he'd had on Sabaddon.' ''I know what you're about to say,'' he said. ''I've seen it. You're about to tell me that I must confront the times ahead with great care. But I've already said that, so now maybe you won't.'' She smiled. ''It's disconcerting when what you've seen doesn't quite turn out the way it's supposed to.'' That was true. The conversation had already headed off in a different direction, thanks to his intervention.'' Next she was supposed to warn him that the Sith were the enemy, and he shouldn't become like them in order to beat them. So the future isn't always laid in stone? No. And I am glad of that sometime, Shagar. She put a hand on his shoulder and guided him toward the door. You will learn to be too, I think. She did seem tired. He wished there was something he could do to make her feel better. But how could he, a lowly Padawan understand or even begin to shoulder the heavy load she was under. Again, a spark of predestination told him that he was brushing closely against something seen in the past. Be kind, Shagah. Had she meant herself all along? Had all his agonizing about Lorin been for nothing? Then another thought occurred to him. Some roads are harder than yours have been. Were the words so far left unspoken... For him to consider now? She was talking about him. As they left the audience chamber, he decided that it was okay to feel torn. In fact, he should get used to it. There were serious challenges to come. Whether the High Counselors succeeded with their diplomatic efforts or not. In a universe that demanded black and white, he would settle for Grey. And when he passed his trials, he would talk to Master Trelis in private... If a thousand Jedi Knights really felt as he did, there would be hope when diplomacy failed. Darth Howell, Dark Lord of the Sith, was less imposing on second meeting than he had been the first time. He wore a black uniform lacking both insignias and trophies, and Axe interpreted that to mean he wasn't out to impress. That he had asked to meet her in private on his personal hunting range on Dromund Kaas, she took as a mixed sign.
0: Pick a rifle,
2: he said, indicating an extensive collection lining the wall of his study. Follow me onto the deck. Axe selected an antique weapon with a stock made of bone. Its charge was full and its sights perfectly aligned. She bet herself Darth Howell kept them all that way and not just for show. She was right. The deck was an extensive viewing platform overlooking dense tropical terrain that had been cleared in patches, allowing an unobstructed line of sight to the undergrowth. The sun was at its zenith above the clouds. Conditions were as good as they would ever be on the Imperial capital. Darth Howell rang a bell. Somewhere in the trees, a cage door rattled open. I brought you here,
0: Eldon Axe.
2: He said as he raised his oval to scope the range. So you could explain to me how you killed Darth Kratos. She froze. How did he know? She had told no one, and she was sure none of the troopers on Sabaton would have understood what had happened that day. The Hexes had killed so many people. Darth Kratos had been just one of them. Darth Howell's rifle emitted a sharp, high-pitched crack, making her jump. Something cried out in the trees below. The Dark Lord glanced at her and offered her an eerie, sharp-toothed smile. ''Don't worry,'' he said. ''As long as you are up here, you'll be fine.'' She wondered how long that good fortune would last. ''What makes you think I killed him, my lord?'' ''Whenever a former apprentice returns without her master.'' The question asks itself It's something of a tradition Although not one you'll hear spoken of much First you survive the academy Then you have to survive your master That's how I earned my reputation And I presume that's how you plan to do it too The question is How? The rifle cracked again If you don't fire soon, young Axe, I'll be forced to assume you've lost your nerve. Axe did as she was told, raising the rifle and holding it steady against the ball of her shoulder. She couldn't remember the last time she'd fired a blaster of any kind. Certainly not since building her first lightsaber. She scanned the foliage through the scope. When a fluffy, dark-eyed head peered warily out from cover... She took a shot at it. The rifle produced an odd whining twang, but launched an impressive bolt of bright green energy in the right direction. The terrified creature exploded into a ball of flaming fur. I used the hexes, she told Howell, appropriately satisfied, as she lined up for another shot.
0: How did you get them to do your bidding?
2: It's, uh, hard to explain...
0: I've not brought you here
2: to make life easy for you. Another shot from his rifle. Another squawk below. You've already told us about the remnant of Lima Zandrit present in all the droids. What did you call it again? The Aminoid. Yes. You mentioned in your report that you and the Jedi Master were both able to influence the Hexes thanks to the Aminoid. I didn't realize that you were able to do so to such an overwhelming degree. That wasn't how I did it. Her second shot missed. He was beating her three kills to one. Be assured, young Axe, that I'll get it out of you one way or another. There was no denying the threat now. She sought the same steely strength Satil Shan had demonstrated on Sabaton. There was something I omitted from the report, my lord She said The amnioid didn't exist solely to control the hexes It was designed also, mainly perhaps, to sustain a child in a force-free bacta tank She was Xandrit's child A clone Of you Axe wouldn't use the word me She refused to Her name was Cynzia. She believed that I was her You talked to her? Yes. Then you killed her? No, but I might have. The Grand Master released her when the M tried to smother her. She died upon exposure to air. They both lied. At the very same time, a bolt of lightning shattered the gloomy sky into a thousand jagged pieces. The synchronicity was unintended, but impressive. When the hexes weren't operating independently... She went on. They obeyed Cynzia, not the Amnioid, because we possessed identical genetic codes. They also obeyed me. It was easy to make them turn on Darth Kratos, And of course, that was necessary. You couldn't have killed him on your own. No. It burned her to admit it, but that was the truth. And this seemed like a moment when only the truth would suffice. Darth Howell's game was utterly unlike any Darth Kratus would have played. She was learning the rules as she went along. The omission of the clone from your report, he said, was premeditated, deliberate and dangerous. The Dark Council disapproves of anything that smacks of disloyalty or of emotional attachment to anything other than the Council itself. I felt no kinship with the clone, my lord, she said. None at all. She struggled to find words for the emotions that still stirred her when she thought of the pathetic creature in the tank. Lima Zandric refused to let her daughter go, so she created a new one whom she imprisoned. She refused to be controlled, yet she herself was possessive and controlling. What imprisonment might she have fashioned for me, had I not been rescued from her by Darth Kratos? Was that why my memories of her had been so easy to suppress? The only thing stirred up in the entire affair was a recollection of her screaming. I think, in short, she concluded, that I had a lucky escape, and the clone too in the end. Did you order the hexes to commit suicide? That I didn't do, she said. But I probably could have ordered them not to. He nodded. It was the Omniord then. This time, yes. Lima Sandrit lost her daughter twice. There was nothing else to live for, not even revenge. So instead of becoming their master, you let them die. Darth Howell lowered his rifle and fixed her with an obsidian stare. Some might find it puzzling that you did not use the hexes to fulfill your vendetta against Dao Striver, and then go on to conquer the galaxy. Yes, I could have been Emperor, she thought, then said. The thought did occur to me, but the Mandalorian had already escaped by then, and I remain loyal to the Dark Council. Some might say that your exposure to the Grand Master of the Jedi addled your thoughts. Some might use this as an argument to never trust you again. I don't care what people say. You only need to worry about what the Dark Council decides to do about you. I met with them yesterday. They... You said... Many things are said, Axe, and many things are done... They are not always the same. She knew it. So, are you going to have me killed? He laughed at her and raised the rifle. Another shot, another scream of pain. That depends entirely on how you spin it, he said. Were the fugitives punished? The fate of Mother and the clone left her in no doubt on that score. Undoubtedly... Did the planet fall into the Republic's hands? No. So you survived where your master did not, and you returned with valuable intel. You are strong and determined, like your mother. You deserve nothing but admiration and a close eye. If anyone does learn the secret about the Hexes, the explanation is simple. Your loyalty to the Emperor is such that you would never attempt to unseat him. Note that I said Emperor, not the Dark Council. It's a Sith's job to try to unseat us. That's why we have to keep a close eye on you. Fire the gun. Axe closed one eye and stilled her hammering heart. Perhaps she would survive after all. The creature in her sights did not survive, and neither did two more came to investigate. She wasn't going to tell Darth Howell that the only reason she had not spared the Hexes was because trying to control them would have undoubtedly backfired. Riddled with the twisted spirit of her mother, the Hexes would have turned on her eventually, and she would have ended up as trapped as her clone. Far from becoming Emperor, she would have been a bitter princess in a cage, shouting for help at an empty galaxy better that it all disappear into a black hole, literally and metaphorically, and she get on with her life. Her life. However much of it she had left. Why did you invite me here? She asked. It wasn't to grill me on my report or to offer me advice. True. You are young and inexperienced, but you are observant, and you survived this crisis unscathed. Perhaps you are hiding your true feelings well, or you are more resilient than you look. Either way, you can be useful to me. I brought you here to offer you an alliance. Axe didn't even see what lay down her sights. What kind of alliance? One considerably more to your advantage than the last one. Darth Kratos deserved what came to him. His methods were unreliable, his philosophies dangerous, and his ambition unchecked. It was therefore inevitable that he would fall. The only question was, how far would you fall with him? She didn't answer. Darth Howell's teeth gleamed faintly in the night. Darth Kratos failed you, just as my last apprentice failed me. It's time to look beyond failure and see the successes awaiting you and I. With my power and your potential, can you imagine what we might accomplish together? We might shake the Supreme Chancellor from his seat and earn rewards beyond our wildest dreams. She wasn't thinking that far ahead. All she had in mind was how useful it would be to have a master actually on the Dark Council. "'not just dreaming about it. "'What happened to your last apprentice?' "'She liked to keep pets,' he said, "'taking aim and dispatching another hapless furball down below. "'And now I keep her in the observation dome directly above our heads. "'She loves it when I entertain guests.' "'His smile was cold and vicious, "'and something about it thrilled Axe to her core.' Darth Howell needed her, and she needed him. There was no shame in admitting it. There were bigger games to play now. Dow's driver could wait. When she needed to feel anger in its purest form, he would be there, ready to inspire her. It didn't matter where he was or what he was doing. The longer her vow remained unfulfilled, the greater her anger would become. The end justifies the means as he himself had said. I would be honored, my lord. Good. And I will accept you as my student. You will put the messy business of your mother behind us and we'll both look forward to slaughtering the Jedi scum in their beds. And most important... He winked like the chopping of a guillotine. Most important of all, my young apprentice... We will both watch our backs. Tatooine. There was no shortage of cantinas on Tatooine, nor of cantina brawls. Akshay Shanka had come in second in yet another combat tournament, and emotions were running high. There had been riots around the arena, and several full-blown shootouts had rivaled those of the contest itself. Dao driver wasn't there to fight, however. From the shadowy depths of the Wing and Wanderer, the Mandalorian watched the arrival of the human who called himself Jet Nebula with a keen eye. The smuggler had a sandy air, as most people did on the desiccated planet. His gray hair was as wild and as uniform as space-worn as ever. The droid trailing him had earned a couple of extra dents in his travels since Sabaddon, but they looked much as Stryver had expected. They were watchful, in a way that older warriors learned to be. Jet Nebula looked around the bar, saw the impassive Gechtel sitting alone, and performed a subtle double-take. Then he held up two fingers to the bartender, who chattered confirmation, and he and the droid pressed through the dusty crowd. Fancy meeting you here.
0: You'll recognize
2: me? Dow Stryver, in the flesh. You look better with your helmet on. Stryver showed teeth in a way that might have been mistaken for a smile. In my culture, this expression is considered a challenge. Come on, I know you can take a joke. He pulled up a chair. Besides, you're obviously waiting for me. I reckon I'm safe, at least until you tell me what you want. I've come for the droid. Nebula raised an eyebrow. He's not for sale. I'm not offering you money. Two tiny glasses clunked down between them. Stryver made no move to pay, and neither did he. He obviously had a tab. Good fortune in battle, Nebula toasted. May all your eggs spawn hatch as soldiers. You know about that, too. I've got a good sense of smell. And I've transported some life paintings from Hosh Ishir once. Even nice planet there, if you breathe poisonous gas. Stryver raised the other glass and tipped the fiery liquid down her throat. I was wrong to take you for granted, she said. It's not your fault. I go out of my way to give a certain impression. I am not apologizing. I am offering you a compliment. Few deceive me. We both have our masks. Do you keep your tail trimmed to fit into that armor? Have you had it permanently removed? She shook her head, unwilling to be deflected. I've been looking for you ever since the Sabaton Affair. I'm gratified it's taken you so long to find me. The word on the grapevine is that you've been shopping technical data to the black market. What kind of data? He shrugged. Everything I had in the hexes, which wasn't much. Chemical analysis, video footage, a sample of their subspace code. I sold it as a job lot to a character called Shavak. Don't worry. There's nowhere near enough for him or anyone else to rebuild them. She let him believe that this was her concern. If he did, in fact, believe it, he was a man of many masks. In Barisha's palace, he had been careful not to play things too smart, lest he be considered a threat, while at the same time he was reinforcing his value as the man who had found the Cinzia and who might find other bounties like it in order to avoid being conveniently disappeared. While the Huts had been watching the envoys, the smuggler in their midst had kept his eyes and ears carefully open. In the same way, he had pulled the strings of the Republic's puppet envoy, making certain the Xandred affair ended to his advantage. He might be doing much the same thing right now. You know, I'd make an excellent Mandalorian, Nebula said. Were I that way inclined? Stryver stiffened in her seat, resisting the urge to reach across the table and tear his puny head right off. Explain, she growled. We both have a sense of irony. He signaled at the bartender for another round of drinks. And our goals are the same. I mean, seriously, you engineered the whole Zabatton thing for the start, right? You gave Zandra coordinates for a meeting that would take her through privateer-invested space. You knew where the ship would end up once it was caught, and what the huts would probably do with it. Then you hopped around the Empire and the Republic, escalating the situation. You wanted people to think that you were chasing the sins to stop it from falling into anyone else's hands. But in fact, you were doing the exact opposite. That's why you didn't kill any of the players you came across. You wanted a fight over the Hexes just as much as you wanted to erase your own involvement in it. The drinks came. Stryver let her sit untouched on the table as Nebula went on. You were testing the Empires and the Republic's responses to the Hexes. You wanted to see who has the edge these days. Has the Republic recovered from the near beating you gave them a decade ago? Has the Empire grown strong enough to be considered a serious contender in your next campaign? I'd say the results were tied Which suits me What do you think? Who's Mandalore going to fight next When he gets tired of working for everyone else? That's the question I bet every Jedi and Sith Would like answered right now He sculled the contents of his glass Without taking his eyes off her Where does the irony come into it? She was careful not to give him an answer We have no leader Do you remember that? "'I'm sure you do, and I'm sure it struck a chord. "'Your kind is of a fairly individualistic bent, as is mine. "'We sympathize with Lena Zandrit's desire to follow her own path, "'even if we don't share her methodology. "'After all, we don't have the army of droids "'that allowed her political indulgences, "'an army that was probably more about building and terraforming originally "'than fighting anyone, until we showed up. "'And that's where the irony lies.' The Emperor certainly didn't endorse Sandrit's egalitarian aspirations, and I'm positive the same Chancellor would have disapproved too. Empires and republics dislike those with the capacity to overturn their regimes. In that sense, our two squabbling friends are more alike than they prefer to think. And Sandrit's political meme might have been even more dangerous than a hex's had it escaped. Stryver nodded, thinking of the stratified hierarchies, bureaucracies, and underclasses she had witnessed in both Empire and Republic, all foaming with discontent. Not all of it brought out by the Cold War that had existed for more than a decade now. It wasn't impossible to imagine either regime being overturned by a rebellion from within. Just as dangerous, however, and far more important, was the possibility that the two rival factions might one day unite against a common enemy, as they had against the Hexes. Keeping the two at each other's throats was therefore vital, from a Mandalorian perspective. Are you nodding off? Jet asked, or agreeing with me? Stryver focused her thoughts. I am thinking that the most dangerous thing in the galaxy is an ambitious serf. As every exploitative regime discovers to its cost, when those who do the work decide they want to keep the profits for themselves. What would happen if droids ever came to the same decision? It would mean the end of civilization as we know it. Luckily, the hexes weren't ambitious per se, just badly programmed. I'm not talking about the hexes. I'm talking about clunker. Nebula showed enough teeth to suggest that his smile might be a threat, too. Don't you think we'd already be his slaves, if that's what he wanted? You tell me what he wants. What motivates a machine that can take over Imperial and Republic ships at will, and then just run away? Not power or glory, obviously. Or profit. Otherwise, I'd be a trillionaire. Sometimes he does what I ask him to. Sometimes he doesn't, so it's not about obeying me. To be honest, I've been trying to figure him out for years, and maybe no closer to the answer than I was when I started. You didn't make him like this? Not a chance. It was a mistake. Some kind of factory error, and he'd been scheduled for melting when I found him. His brain had a reset problem, apparently. Every few minutes, he'd shut down and lose his memory. A droid with no capacity for storing incriminating evidence appealed to me. So I nicked him and patched him up as best I could. These days he can manage days at a time without flatlining. But it still happens. The only things he remembers are me and the ship. I guess because we were where his life really started. Striver peered up at the stationary droid. So he won't remember Sabaddon and what happened there? No. He's reset four times since then. I've come to think it's all connected. Like his thoughts get too big for his brain to handle, so it shuts itself down periodically to stop him going crazy. After all, what could be worse than a droid with ambition, as you put it? You've seen what people do to them when they get ideas. And with good reason, when it came to the hexes. Glunker is no hex. He's just a damaged droid struggling to cope in a big, bad universe. Then perhaps the time has come to relieve him of his burden. I advise against trying. I advise against resisting, Jeek Karen. Something hardened in his eyes. Stryver stood and reached for her Carbonizer. She was never entirely sure what happened next. Clunker moved. That was expected. She had planned for that the attack didn't come from his direction. It came from four other angles simultaneously, and she was flung back into her seat by convergent energy pulses. Her suit sparked and smoked. Her limbs shook. For a potentially fatal moment, her vision grayed out into nothing. Then she recovered, and the crowded cantina was exactly as it had been, except that the smuggler and his droid were gone. Better drink up! Chittered the bartender, indicating the glass still sitting before her. He asked us not to kick you out immediately, but there's a limit to my generosity. He asked? She snapped her mouth shut as her brain caught up. He'd been coming here for days. That was how she had found him. She had thought him wasting money on fellow gamblers and lowlifes, when in actual fact, he had been preparing a trap. For her! The crowd studiously avoided her challenging stare. Stryver laughed on the inside, profoundly pleased on two points. One, she was still alive. Two, it was good to have a worthy adversary. Dow Stryver had come a long way from her pit-fighting days, when a young Gektul's life was cheap and expected to last not even a single week. She had accrued considerable glory since then, and considered herself the living embodiment of the Mandalorian Creed. War was fought by individuals, not by emperors and politicians. Battles were decided by people, whose names might never be recorded in history. But the point wasn't history, or even who won. Anyone who strove hard enough could become a hero. That was the point. Her enemy understood. It was important to her that he did. She had traced his history backward from captain to first officer of a very different vessel, where the trail had ended. But the captain of that ship, Jeet Caron, had had a reputation for being entirely too smart for his own good. He made enemies among several cartels and ultimately disappeared. It was a simple leap to wonder if one had taken the place of the other. They might never be on the same side again, Stryver thought. But at least from now on, they would be playing the same game. She downed the liquor and shouldered her way out of the wing and wanderer into the dry glare of Tatooine. With her helmet back in place, she was just another Mandalorian, one among many on the gladiatorial world. She would search every spaceport in the city as a matter of course, even though she suspected the Ariga fire would slip through her fingers once more. Then she would report to the Mandalore required to do so, she would hunt her enemy to the ends of the galaxy, and she would be ready for him when they met again. If not, she would go back to studying the Empire and the Republic, safe in the knowledge that there would soon be glory enough for everyone. War was coming. The certainty of it warmed her warrior soul. She raised her eyes to stare at the sun, and wished the man who called himself Jet Nebula fortune
1: in battle. Wow, now that was extraordinary. This mind-blowing story has taken us to the furthest reaches of the galaxy. I was completely captivated by the unfolding events, leaving me breathless by the way it just ended. And now I am super sad, because that was the end of the story. But it's not the end of the episode. We still need to unveil the quote. And this episode's quote comes to us from Clint Eastwood. He said, sometimes if you want to see change for the better, you have to take things into your own hands. Okay, have you ever felt frustrated or dissatisfied with the situation? Maybe it's a problem at school, at your workplace, or even in your personal life. Well, this quote tells us that we have the power to make a difference. We don't have to sit back and wait for things to magically improve. If you truly want to see a positive change, you have to be the one to initiate it. It's about taking matters into your own hands instead of waiting around for someone else to fix the problem or waiting for things to just get better on their own. You have the ability to step up and create the changes you want to see. Think about it. Let's say you are passionate about environmental issues. If you want to see a cleaner and greener world, you can't just hope that someone else will make it happen. You got to start by organizing a local cleanup or raising awareness about recycling. It's about being proactive and taking action. The same goes for any other aspect in your life. Whether you're standing up against injustice, promoting kindness, or pursuing your dreams, you have the power to make a difference. Don't underestimate the impact you can have, no matter who you are. So how can you apply this quote to your everyday life it's all about finding something that you're passionate about and taking action if you see a problem or an opportunity for improvement don't wait around for someone else to fix it be the catalyst for that change take the initiative and brainstorm solutions so let this quote inspire you to be proactive to stand up for what you believe in and to make a difference in this world don't be afraid to take the lead and create the change that you want to see you have the power to shape a better future the choice is in your hands And I think that's about it for this episode. Join us next week for the season finale, where we have some big news to share. Plus, as always, the season finale giveaway. Yes, you heard that right. We're going all out. Trust me, you won't want to miss this episode. So until next week, may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by SwayCast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic's Fatal Alliance was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.